It is Thursday, October 14th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Week 6 Preview Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smolin. Jared, we got Tampa Bay Buccaneers at Philadelphia Eagles on Thursday night for the first game this week. The Bucs are seven-point road favorites, an over-under of 52. And I guess we'll start at Rob Gronkowski being out for a third straight game with the rib injury and an assortment of internal injuries. So... When I wrote the shark bite yesterday for him being officially ruled out, I said Cameron Brait will remain the top receiving option of the position for yeah. the Bucks, but that wasn't necessarily the case in week five. That's right. I mean, OJ Howard out targeted Brait three to one, and the routes were close, which wasn't the case in week four when Gronk was out. Brait still ran more routes, but it, you know, it was 47% for Cameron Brait, 42% for OJ Howard. So, I mean, they're both still decent touchdown bets i guess when you get down to that territory but you know neither guy is is a safe fantasy play tonight yeah in week four we saw 33 routes for Brait versus 16 for oj howard last week it was 21 to 19 so howard didn't really come up it was more Brait going down howard's playing time has been steady 65 percent 59 percent in those two games Brait 64 38 so I think the end result here is don't really trust either to a strong degree. Certainly either one could do something because that's just the way the position is right now, but I wouldn't reach for either one, especially coming off a one target Cameron break game and a three target OJ Howard game as the more active tight end in the passing game. You're, you're not looking ahead. You're not looking forward to using either of these tight ends, right? No. Um, I think they're just like DFS showdown plays. Um, Howard's kind of intriguing if we're talking that, because I, I do still think he's, a really big talent. I remember he's coming off the, the Achilles injury from last season. So it might make sense that his role is going to grow a bit as we get, you know, uh, as, as he puts that injury further behind him. It's worth noting too, that these Eagles have been solid in pass coverage overall, yep. but they're pretty weak at linebackers. So that could be an area that the Bucks try to exploit in this game tonight. Yeah. Well, they're third in adjusted fantasy points allowed to wide receivers. Kind of surprising. Um, they're 10th against tight ends. Um, so yeah, could, could be a bit more action to the tight ends this week. At wide receiver, Mike Evans, Antonio Brown each topped 100 yards and scored twice last week against the Dolphins. It was Chris Godwin, though, beating each of those guys by three targets, 11 to eight. I think the takeaway there is any of these three guys is a solid to good play. Yeah, but as we've been saying all year, I think, I mean, you're probably going to get one of these guys who disappoints you every week, um, but they both have the upside. You know, we just saw Evans and Brown show last week. So I'd be trying to start all three of these guys tonight in what should be a high scoring game. Yeah, and if the disappointing guy's getting 11 targets, try not to be too disappointed. Leonard Fournette has taken over the backfield the past two weeks. 25 opportunities two weeks ago to Ronald Jones's six with Gio Bernard out. Gio Bernard returned last week for week five. 17 opportunities still for Fournette. Six apiece for Gio Bernard and Ronald Jones. So he still had more opportunities, meaning carries plus targets, uh, than Gio and Ronald Jones combined. Gio had the touchdown catch, but Fournette still even led there with five targets versus three combined for Gio Bernard and Ronald Jones. Yeah, that, that was great to see Fournette keep so much passing game work. Like you said, that the five targets, he ran her out on 64% of the pass plays, which is a strong number. Um, he was 12th in expected fantasy points among running backs last week with Bernard back. So you know, I, I think at this point, Fournette is like an every week RB2, and there's, there's obviously big touchdown upside if, if you know, Brady lets Fournette get those touchdowns. Brady's you know trying to break records this season, but Fournette, should get a few every once in a while. 
I'll say again, I wish I had trusted the draft sharks rankings preseason a little <laughs> bit more. Before not. Yeah. Speaking of Tom Brady, we talked a little bit about this last season, but I want to go back to sleepy <laughs> Brady in the primetime games. So we talked about it last year where they had five prime, uh, yeah, five primetime games. They had Chicago, they were at the Giants, they were home for the Saints, home for the Rams, and then the wild card game against Washington. And Tom Brady was just not as good in those five games. Now, I'm not saying it's because it was at night. I'm not saying it's a large enough sample to tell us something. But he was just under 18 fantasy points per game in those five primetime games, counting regular season and playoffs. His other 15 games, he was 26.9 points per game. So there was a difference. I can't say it's because he was playing at night. But there was a difference between them. And we spin that ahead to this year. He's had four awesome games and one not awesome game so far. The four awesome games have not been primetime. The one not awesome game was primetime against New England. And don't tell me it was the matchup with the Patriots because after that, they let Davis Mills throw for 312 and three touchdowns. Well, week one was a, was a primetime game. Remember, it was the Thursday nighter. Ah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your, your whole narrative is shattered here. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Brady went uh, 379 and four touchdowns in that game against the Cowboys. I mean, it's – it's it's you know one yeah. big primetime game out of a bunch. Um, he had his whole summer to get rested up for that <laughs> yeah, primetime right. game. It's when you get yeah. into the regular season that's when he's sleepy yeah. Brady. Yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, to to me, the bigger concern, and it's not even a big concern, but is is the right thumb injury that Brady's going to be playing through tonight. Um, full practice on Friday, not even listed on the injury report. Um, and and the, the Bucks implied total has not moved. It's still at like twenty nine point seven five. So you no know, one in Vegas is concerned. I'm not concerned. I'm, I'm still starting Brady. We'll see. See how sleepy he is tonight. Yeah. I, I will say that I'm not overly concerned about it. I, if I'm, if I happen to be sitting there with Brady and Matthew Stafford or Justin Herbert, maybe even Dak Prescott, I might start one of those guys over him with the, especially with the right thumb thing and the short week. I mean, the, the guy is 44. It's a short week. It's a road game. It's prime time. There are plenty of factors that could have him just be something less than Tom Brady, not to mention what we mentioned about the Eagles being solid in pass coverage. They're 10th in pass defense DVOA right now. High variance. They've been excellent in a couple of games and terrible in another and weak in two others. So it's a high variance defense. But, you know, there's there are enough factors where it's like if Tom Brady is just OK tonight, it wouldn't be shocking. Yeah, Herbert, I could definitely see playing over Brady if you wanted to. Um, Stafford, I wouldn't do. It's not crazy. Um I would play Jalen Hurts on the other side of this game over over Tom Brady tonight. Yes, I would definitely do that as well. And moving over to the Philly side of that, Jalen Hurts, I think, is a must-start everywhere. I mean, he's just delivered every single week, even in rough passing outings. Now we get the Bucks defense that's been missing two corners, uh, is missing Carlton Davis for the second straight game now, is missing Antoine Winfield for the second straight game at safety. Now they're also missing Levante David, who is the best linebacker in coverage for the Bucs. So it's, it's a positive passing matchup. Yeah, Hertz is still not finished worse than quarterback 11 in fantasy points in, in any of his career starts. I think he's up to like eight starts now. Um, and, and the Bucs, we obviously love this matchup. Uh, te- teams are easily passing at the highest rate in neutral situations against the Bucs. It's 74% against the Bucs and like 60% against this, the second highest team. The Eagles too, by the way, they're seventh in situation neutral pass rate. So they've been a pass-leaning offense. So you're, you're going to get like 50 dropbacks out of Hertz tonight. You know, that might be 40 pass attempts and those seven or eight runs. Um, you're going to get big volume out of him tonight. Yeah. I think Jalen Hurts is also the biggest must include in showdown lineups tonight. Yeah. Uh, in addition to Hertz, I think the matchup helps Zach Ertz. Uh, Dallas Goddard is almost definitely out because he's on the COVID list. I, I mean, I guess maybe we'll see today 
if there's some news, but I haven't seen any indication that Dallas Goddard might play in this game. Zach Ertz, even with Dallas Goddard on the field, has beaten Goddard by three targets in three straight games. Yep, Ertz averaging five targets per game this season, and you know Goddard's averaging three point eight. So you, you figure Ertz picks up a few of Goddard's targets. You know, he, he's a good volume bet tonight, and the matchup's good, like you mentioned. Devontae Smith's also usable here for sure, and there's upside to the matchup for him. I, I think Smith's going to have a big game tonight, um, and he's had a couple of big games already. I think you know this might be as big as I think it might be kind of a you know coming out party on national TV for Devonta. But he, yeah, he's he's 34th in PPR points right now, but he's 22nd in expected points. So he's underachieved his usage so far. And again, pass volume should be up for Philly, and it's it's, it's a good individual matchup for Smith too. He's lost a couple of touchdowns this season to penalties yes. already. Matchup could be good for Kenneth Gainwell also if the Bucks do jump out to a lead the way the Vegas line says that it will. But, he, okay, so why that is is because we've seen him be the two-minute back for them. And uh, we've seen him be involved in all areas. Now, that said, the Eagles were chasing a bit in the fourth quarter last week against Carolina. They were trailing, trying to go down to score the game-winning touchdown. Miles Sanders was on the backfield, was in the backfield for that stuff, and then was in the backfield again when they were trying to kill the clock at the end. So it's not necessarily Kenneth Gainwell if they fall behind, but there's a chance that it could be positive game script, you know, for teams out there that are struggling at running back. And I know that there are plenty of those this week. Yes, Sanders actually set season highs last week in snap rate and route rate. Tough matchup. I, I don't expect a big game from Miles Sanders tonight, but he, he might be a buy low after tonight's game if he struggles just because of that usage we saw last week. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. In the in the two games Philly has lost by double-digit points this season, Gainwell has four and eight targets in those two games. So if you get something like four, five, six targets tonight, you know, he could be a decent you know, bye week option uh, for, for uh, PPR leagues. If you start Miles Sanders, though, don't watch the game because you're going to see yeah. Jalen Hurts put the ball in his belly and then take it away and run for the touchdown himself at some point. Yeah, exactly. The, the one interesting thing about the Bucs is in previous years, they've been good both in run defense, which they obviously still are this season, but also in running back coverage in the passing game. That's not the case this season. Football Outsiders has them 25th in running back coverage. I and mean, we obviously just saw Miles Gaskin have the big game in the passing game last week versus them. So there's definitely opportunity for Sanders and Gainwell to, you know, put up some points in the passing game tonight. And that came in the game that Levante David left early. And like I said, he's the best linebacker in coverage for them. So that can only help the matchup for running back receiving on the Philly side. So some upside, not certainly not an attractive matchup overall, but some upside for the receiving. Miami Dolphins against the Jacksonville Jaguars in London, 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Sunday. The Dolphins are three-and-a-half-point favorites, over-under of 45-and-a-half. Honestly, Jared, this is a game where I would rather not play guys if it's a close decision between two players for my fantasy lineup. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, I think just I think not playing Dolphins in general. I guess besides Mike Kosicki, I mean, I do still think he's a good play, just the usage he's getting. Even last week was like a floor game, but you know he didn't kill you with you know four catches whatever he had. Uh, I, I think Miles Gaskin was the big story of last week. I don't fully trust it still. You know, I think it was, it was it was definitely game plan. I mean, I had the right game plan of going pass heavy against the Bucs and, you know, using someone like Gaskin in the passing game. But, um, you know, he's definitely their pass catching back. But Gaskin also um, is only averaging 6.8 carries per game. So, you know, he's he's almost like down there in like Kenneth Gainwell territory where you're just kind of hoping he, he, he does it in the passing game. Yeah, he's their top – receiving back but he's also only seen 65 percent of their running back targets on the season so it's not like he's dominating in that area 5.2 targets per game even with the 10 from last week worked into that number so no lock in any format i would definitely would not trust last week's game as something to you know 
use and projecting forward. But, you know, I guess it tells you at least that if they throw the ball a lot, he'll be involved. It also followed a season low 23% snap share for Miles Gaskin the week before against the Colts. So, you know, there's upside. He's a decent option, but definitely not a safe play. Yeah, it definitely looks like a matchup based backfield. And again, you know, Brian Flores comes from New England. That's kind of what New England does. So it's going to be tough to predict on a weekly basis. Yeah, that New England means that it, the the second you think you know what's coming, yes. something else is coming the next week. Mike Gusecki, I agree with. I mean, he disappointed us last week if we were looking for upside. But at this point, I will take four catches for 43 yards as a bad week at tight end. And then wide receivers. I mean, it's a positive matchup against Jacksonville. But Jalen Waddell is our highest ranked Dolphins wideout at number 43 in PPR. He's got that 13 target, 12 catch week three that stands out if you look at his game log. But overall for the season, actually outside of that game, he's averaging just 5.75 targets and 3.75 receptions for contest. Yeah, I mean, Miami just continues to use him almost exclusively near the line of scrimmage, which is it's okay if, you know, half his targets are coming there, but, you know, he needs to get downfield more. Um, Devontae Parker is still sidelined on Wednesday with his hamstring injury, so that would help Waddle a bit um, if Parker was out. But, you know, Parker was out last week and Waddle still did nothing. I mean, it, do, it does seem like Tua is me back for Miami this week, which, you know, you wouldn't use him in fantasy. Um, but I do still think he's an upgrade for the offense over Jacoby Brissett. Yeah, Parker now also listed with a shoulder, by the way, so we'll see about his status. And Tua, you'd like to think that it helps – Waddle and everybody else at receiver Mm -hmm. going forward, but it's also tough to say what that impact is going to be first game back. So, you know, altogether, it's a situation I would rather avoid if possible on the Jacksonville side, James Robinson's basically an every week start at this point. I mean, congrats if you're good enough at running back where you can sit James Robinson. I think the way to look at the situation overall is Devontae Booker this week looks like Jesus to people on the waiver wire. They think that he's coming <laughs> yeah. to save your lineup. Either that or he's Mumra from Thundercats, where he's 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 rising from the dead, but he has evil in mind. Yeah, you, you lost me on Thundercats there, but yeah, I, I agree. It's a, it's a shaky week at running back as usual. The, the, the Jags, by the way, they are second in football outsiders rushing DVOA like as a team. They're the second best rushing team in the NFL, according to football outsiders. So, um, and James Robinson's playing well. He's getting the volume. Uh, Miami's 32nd in adjusted points allows the running back. So it's, it's a great spot for Robinson. The whole Jaguars passing game, though, let us down in a positive matchup with Tennessee last week. Marvin Jones, I think, is back to being the top bet. He only had one catch against the Titans, but he had six targets. That was third on the team, however, behind Dan Arnold and Jamal Agnew. I, I guess let's let's start with positive on Dan Arnold because it was only his second game with the team, and the first one came just a, a few days after being traded there. He played more snaps last week than the other three Jaguars tight ends combined, and through two games, Dan Arnold has seen 17.5% target share. Yeah, 24% target share last week, as you mentioned, team high, eight targets, and, and ran a pass route on 74% of the dropbacks, which is is a really strong number. Um, caught six balls, 64 yards, Miami, a middling matchup for tight end. So Arnold has already worked his way into like, you know, if you don't have one of the top seven or eight guys, like he's a guy you can you can consider for fantasy lineups this week. There's definitely room for Dan Arnold to be Jacksonville's Mike Gusecki going forward. Um, back to the wideouts, though. I mean, Marvin Jones, like I said, top option. Uh, we're talking like low wide receiver two to high wide receiver three yeah. territory. LaVisca Chenault is now an outside receiver, apparently. He <laughs> got three targets last week, one long catch, and is not playing in the slot anymore. Right. So he played 83% of his snaps in the slot the first four games. That was down to 13% in 
week five, which you might think that's a good thing. Like, you know, he's going to be on the field in two wide receiver sets, but I, it looks like he was only on the field in three wide receiver sets as an outside receiver because his route rate was down. Just He ran around with just 65% of the pass plays. That was down from 79% in the first four weeks. So I, I don't know what's going on with Chanel, you know, why Tavon Austin and Jamal Agnew are seeing more targets. But, um, and man, did the one catch Chanel made, was like 15 yards on field and he broke like six tackles to pick up like an extra 40 yards after the catch. So he still looks awesome, but um, the, the usage uh, you know, kind of means we can't trust him in fantasy lineups right now. Jared, when you have Jamal Agnew, you got to get him on the field. That's what's happening in Jacksonville. He played 63% of the snaps as the number three wide receiver for the Jaguars last week, ran one more pass route than LaVisca Chanel. He operated as the primary slot receiver. He had only played 28 offensive snaps through four games. So I mean, we'll see what happens in week six, but I think at the moment you have to treat Jamal Agnew as the top slot receiver. And that's especially because Tavon Austin in his two games has spent just 23% of his snaps in the slot. I, I can't believe we're talking about Jamal Agnew and Tavon Austin. We, we said this all summer that Urban Meyer was going to mess up this Jaguars offense and it's, it's happening. And I, I'm, I think I'm only aware of it because in our, our going deep league with Mike Clay, you already have to start six receivers. Yeah. At first, I picked up Tavon Austin as just somebody to be my sixth receiver with Cordero Patterson on by. And then I was looking at the playing time numbers. And I was like, wait a second. Jamal Agnew <laughs> is the slot, man. It's not Tavon Austin. By Tavon Austin. I guess I'm starting Jamal Agnew this week. Yeah, th- thanks, Mike, for making us uh, have to dig deep into these Jags wideouts. That's right. Cincinnati at Detroit starting the regular Sunday slate. Bengals by three <laughs> points on the road over under 47 and a half. T. Higgins returned from his shoulder injury last week. Jamar Chase still drew a season-high 10 targets, three ahead of T. Higgins for that game, who got seven to rank second on the team. Tyler Boyd fell, tied uh, Samaje Pirine for third on the team with just five. I think a bigger story than their target shares, though, might be the Bengals looking like they're leaning a bit further toward the pass now than where they started the season. Yes, totally agree. Um they set a season high last week in situation neutral pass rate. They, they finished seventh on the week in situ, situation neutral pass rate. That was after finishing 10th the previous week. I, I still think Joe Mixon's injury had something to do with that rate last week, and it might come down a bit if Mixon is healthier for Sunday's game. And it's a game that Cincinnati should be able to control and play with the lead against Detroit. So maybe it comes down a bit. Um, but it's definitely encouraging. You know, it seems like they're opening the offense back up You know, as, as Burrow settles in after that knee injury last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Joe Mixon got that limited workload last week, did play, but he didn't get on the field for practice until Saturday. So he started this week with a limited practice. So that's good news mm-hmm. for his recovery from the ankle injury. And Samaje Piran's on the COVID list. So as of the moment, we have to assume he's not going to play. And we'll kind of see where that goes. Yeah, I would, I would plan on getting Mixon back in fantasy lineups this week. Um, like you said, the fact that he was able to practice on Wednesday tells me he didn't suffer any type of setback with it ankle. So I, I'm expecting him to be back in the lead role. And it's obviously a good matchup against Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else on the Bengals passing game before we move to the other side? Nope. I, I just think Tyler Boyd is, is going to struggle now as kind of the, the third guy in this passing. He, he's only averaging six targets in the three games that T Higgins and Jamar Chase have played. So it's, it's, it's going to be tough for him. Yeah. Boyd's definitely the guy that I would worry about because he needs volume more than the other two outside longer range guys. Uh, So I agree with that. On the Detroit side, I saw yesterday being Wednesday that J.J. Zacharyson tweeted out this table of target share allowed above or below expectations so far by position. Uh, And the Bengals have allowed the league's largest over expected 
target share to running backs. So nice. this could be a good week for DeAndre Swift against that Bengals team. He's already seen at least five targets in every game, leads the Lions in targets, receptions, and receiving yards, and he's seen 17.9% target share for the season. I was hoping you were going to say running backs for the the, the high rate there against, you know, not, and, not, and not wide receivers. Um, but, yeah, you know, Swift, Swift's volume hasn't really climbed the past couple of weeks, but he has set season highs and snap rates at 73 and then 74%. Um, Jamal Williams is still sort of in there. Is, is like, and when, when Jamal's in there, they're going to run. They're going to give him the ball on the ground. Um, but, you know, Swift's kind of in there in all the other situations. And, you know, he's, he's still producing as, as an RB1 in PPR. Three straight bad outings for, well, uh, let's say tough outings for TJ Hawkinson. I think it's worth noting a couple of things. One, the Bears and the Vikings the past two weeks rank fourth and sixth in pass defense DVOA. Uh, they're also tough against tight ends. So maybe it was negative matchups. The Vikings is less tough than the Bears, but pat, tough uh, pass coverage matchups. He just saw two targets against the Ravens the week before. Might be more noteworthy, though, that he's dealing with a knee injury. He did not practice Wednesday of this week. He missed Wednesday's practice last week. He was not on the injury report heading into week four, which is when they faced Baltimore, but then showed up the following week on Wednesday, missing practice. So that to me says he hurt that knee in that Baltimore game. And he's been dealing with it since. I don't know how much of a factor it is. He's been near his normal playing time. Right. His playing time has been there, you know, where it was before the knee injury. Um, his route rates have been there. So, you know, it's not, it's not like he's blocking more. He's, he's still out there when the lions are passing. So I, I would, I would bet on the production coming back um, at least when that knee gets right and he he didn't practice on Wednesday right with that knee injury so I think it's still an issue we'll see what he does the, these last two days um, you know he's still you know safely inside our top 10 tight ends for the week um, I think you're fine if you have him I, I also don't think it's crazy to use like Dalton Schultz or you know Noah Fan or even like Dawson Knox over Hawkinson um, especially until we know that knee is right yeah I agree with that and it'll be worth watching his practice participation to see if it you know, gets worse versus last week because that could indicate how much of an issue the knee is. Yep. And frankly, I don't think there's anything else worth talking about with Detroit. I'm ignoring the wideouts completely. Well, I did want to mention Amon Ross St. Brown, um, especially with Quintus Cephas out for the season now. And, and Tyrell Williams look like, looks like he's still going to be out this week with his concussion. But um, Amon Ra has eight targets in back-to-back games. He's had six and then seven catches. So, you know, if you're hurting in, in a PPR league with bye weeks, I, I do think he is a low-level option. I'll give him that. If I had to pick up Jamal Agnew somewhere that I'm sure somebody <laughs> needs, I'm on Ross St. Brown this week. On to Minnesota at Carolina Vikings by one. That opened as a Panthers by one and a half line. So some significant shift there. 45 and a half over under. That's down two points from where it opened. On the Minnesota side, Vikings backfield, we got all Alexander Madison last week. But Wednesday found Dalvin Cook putting in a limited practice. And Madison sitting out with a shoulder injury. So we're going to have to watch both of those guys before we know what to do with it Sunday. Yeah, Jefferson and Thielen sat out too Wednesday. So I think they're just getting some some guys some rest early in the week. Um, but yeah, you know, getting out there on Wednesday tells me that Cook is probably back this week. And, you know, hopefully he's back back and is going to get, you know, most of the work. Because, you know, we, we've seen whoever is getting that lead back usage in Minnesota, whether it's Cook or Madison, is like a top five fantasy option. So um, and, and, you know, that'll remain the case. I do think if Cook is active, um, you know, he's, he's probably going to get most of the work. And with Minnesota now having that slight edge on the road and Carolina being the number two pass defense in DVOA, I think it's a good week for Minnesota to plan on running the ball, whoever it is, even if it's both of them, and not an exciting week for Kirk Cousins. I mean, you're obviously playing Justin Jefferson. You're probably playing Adam Thielen, um, but it's just not a, not a high upside spot for the Vikings passing game. 
yeah, not a good week for Cousins. Um, not a good week for Tyler Conklin, who, you know, he had that big week three, but he hasn't finished as a top 20 fantasy tight end in any of the other four weeks. Um, you know, his his usage is okay. You know, the targets are okay. The, the route rate is okay. Uh, but, you know, to, to me, he, he's not like a, you know, top 12. Guy. He, he's a, he's someone you use on bye weeks, I think. Um, I just think he's going to have too many, too many down games in this, you know, lower volume passing game with, with Jefferson and Theon as the two clear leaders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And especially in this matchup that doesn't present a whole lot of upside, not a week to reach for anything in the Minnesota yep. offense. Um, KJ Osborne, by the way, we've talked about here and there, his playing time settled in around 60% after that opener where he played 81%. And the Vikings are also back in the league's bottom half now in neutral pass rate after opening the season, a little bit more pass leaning than what we got used to. So, you know, it might not be a favorable passing offense for, you know, extra opportunity going forward. Yep. Agreed. On the Panthers side, Sam Darnold coming off easily his worst outing so far this season. So I think the question is, did he remind us that he's Sam Darnold or did he just have a bad week? Well, he's actually played, he's passed poorly in two straight weeks now. Um, He saved himself in week four with those rushing touchdowns, but um, PFF had him 27th in passing grade back in week uh, four and he was dead last this past week. So definitely a concern and you know minnesota's defense has been i guess better than i even realized uh, football outsiders has them sixth in pass defense and they're seventh in adjusted points allowed to quarterback so you know on, on paper it's not a great matchup for darnold he's like you know right on the edge of the top 12 of our rankings this week yeah i would like to blame it some on being pressured last week but pro football focus has Sam Darnold, 24th in passer rating in clean pockets, 25th when pressured. So it hasn't really made a whole lot of difference for him. He's faced the ninth highest pressure rate um, versus dropbacks among all quarterbacks. So, you know, it's high, but not exorbitantly high. The Vikings are kind of middling in applying pressure, but uh, pressure is going to be an option. It's an okay week to use Darnold, not a week to go after him, not a week to totally forget about him. Yep. Christian McCaffrey should be back from his hamstring injury. Last week started out optimistically as well, so we'll have to watch. But, you know, it seems like he should be on track this week. Well, Matt Rule called him 50-50 on Wednesday, and, and CMC was limited in Wednesday's practice still, so we'll see. Um, you know, Chuba Hubbard had a much, much more productive game and a better game as far as usage in week five. And, you know, I I think it was because, you know, the Panthers lost, but they were playing with the lead for most of that game. So that's what I think it is. When they're playing with leads, Chuba's going to be in there. If not, you know, you're going to see more Rodney Smith. DJ Moore is obvious. Terrace Marshall is obviously not. And Robbie Anderson is the one who gets <laughs> a little bit less obvious. It's He seems like an obviously not because he continues to not deliver for us. It's been five weeks now. But it is worth noting that through the first three games, he saw 10.3% target share. Then came Matt Rule saying we got to get Robbie Anderson the ball more. Since then, 23.7% target share. So you can say those are the two games without Christian McCaffrey. Maybe that was a factor in that. But we're also talking about Christian McCaffrey at a 0.7 A dot, 15.2 A dot for Robbie Anderson. So they're not getting the same targets. You know, maybe a couple of targets go somewhere else, wherever it is on the field with no McCaffrey, but you know, those two guys aren't playing the same role. So that's not really a straight trade-off. Maybe McCaffrey, if he comes back, siphons a target or two. Maybe his presence helps Anderson find space downfield. I think ultimately, Anderson, you can't really like a lot this week. But if you're looking down in like wide receiver 40 range, I think he has an easier path to production than most of the other guys down there. I I think that he's going to pop for, you know, a few two, three, four big games the rest of the way. I don't know when they're going to come. Um, and you know, it is. So he, 
Anderson's the fourth least efficient wide receiver so far in terms of actual points versus expected points. He's wide receiver 70 in actual fantasy points. He's wide receiver 39 in expected. So, he, you know, he's getting low end wide receiver through usage. He Anderson has the lowest catchable target rate in the NFL. So, you know, he's getting mostly downfield shots and Sam Darnold is not throwing those accurately. So, I mean, they'll, they'll connect at some point this season, um, but when they're going to connect, I have no idea. Yeah, they're not going to be a duo to count on. Don't go say Robbie Anderson's a buy low right now. I'm definitely not saying that because Sam Darnold's been off and then Robbie Anderson drops some that do come his way. So when you combine them, it's just like there's going to be more frustration than not. But at some point, there's going to be a big game. So, you know, if you have that decision where it's at the bottom of the roster, that's a reason to like Robbie Anderson in that kind of situation. Yep, I'll give him that. Houston at Indianapolis Colts by nine and a half over under a 43 and a half Texans have the lowest team total of the week by the Vegas numbers. Clearly no one is respecting Davis Mills's big game against the Patriots last week. And nobody's buying Chris Moore or Chris Conley or anybody else named Chris for the Texans. I'm not buying Chris Moore or Chris Conley. Um, I do think Mills play is good news for Brandon Cooks though. I mean, he played really well. I mean, over 300 yards and three touchdowns against a Bill Belichick defense, which usually dominates rookie wide receivers. I mean, we saw it was Zach Wilson earlier this season. Like, Wilson looked horrible against that defense. Uh, PFF had Mills eighth in passing grade last week. So, you know, he he's still not an option, but I do think I think it's good news for Brandon Cooks. And I even think Chris Conley and Chris Moore doing something is good news for Brandon Cooks because it's just going to, you know, it gives defenses something else to worry about. So, Cooks is still the clear lead guy here, and I like him in this spot. Um, the Colts are – uh, 30th in pass defense DVOA. They're much tougher against the run than the pass. So you know, it sets up as a nice uh, nice spot for Brandon Cooks to get going again. And by the way, Chris Moore was basically the slot replacement for, I don't know, Danny Amendola and whoever else <laughs> is playing in the slot at this point last week. So we'll see about Amendola's availability. Chris Conley is the better bet to be on the field if you're in the kind of league where you're looking that deep. But I agree, it's Brandon Cooks and it's nobody else here. And even with last week's disappointing line for him, especially with the big numbers around him, He's still sitting on 30, 31.4% target share for the season as Brandon Cooks. And the, the uh, Colts are 25th against number one wide receivers, according to Football Outsiders, and Xavier Rhodes might miss this game with his concussion. It seems like every time I look at a Colts game this season, I'm watching uh, Xavier Rhodes make his way slowly off the field. It does, it does seem that way. On the indie side, I think Michael Pittman and Jonathan Taylor are pretty easy starts at this point. I'm probably not playing anyone else outside of those two unless it's a desperate situation. Yeah, I think like Wentz in deeper leagues, if you're looking for a spot starter, is in play just, just because, you know, the Colts have the high implied total. Wentz obviously coming off his best game of the season against Baltimore. He finished quarterback seven last week. Um, Houston 21st in adjusted points allowed to quarterback. So I don't I don't love Wentz, but um, yeah, I might I might play him over someone like Kirk Cousins this week if you were – you know, using Cousins early this season. Yeah, if you're looking way down the rankings, there's certainly upside to Wentz. It's just such a, a deep position that I hope you don't have to look that deep. Uh, Rams at the Giants. Rams by nine and a half on the road, over under a 48 and a half. And the Giants side we'll start with because it's really those injuries that, that are the story. Daniel Jones apparently has a chance to play. According to Joe Judge, he did not practice at all Wednesday, but uh, Joe Judge said things were heading in the right direction. That's surprising after seeing the way Daniel Jones left the field in Dallas, but you know, we'll watch that through the week. I I certainly think that that affects, I don't know. There's a chance that Jones is a fantasy option for some people, but I think it more so affects the wide receivers for the giants. Yeah, it definitely affects the wide receivers and Devante Booker, who, you know, as we we said, was a big pickup on waiver wires this week. Um, Jones, to me, he'd be, you know, 
in the lower end quarterback one mix if he gets cleared. Um, the Rams' pass defense has been pretty average this season. They're 20th in adjusted points allowed to quarterbacks. Um, and, you know, Daniel Jones was a quarterback one in three of his first four games of the season. So he, he'd be an option if he's cleared. Mm-hmm. Kenny Galladay doesn't seem like he's going to be an option, but Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton did return to limited practices Wednesday. So we'll watch how those guys progress through the week. Between them, I think Shepard's the only one that I'm really seriously considering. I think Tony's still my, my favorite here, even with Shepard back. I, mean, he just, I, I I was just wrong about Tony. Like I didn't like him as a prospect. He, to me, like I, I already just see it. You know, he's he's just good. Um, he just, you know, he he gets so much separation and he's good after the catch. Um, interesting thing last week too is he played about two thirds of his snaps on the outside. I think a, a, after Galladay left, um, they kind of moved him to the outside, which is nice if he could stay there and Shepard could stay in the slot. I think I think that'd be good for both of those guys. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's the other way around. So we'll see where it goes. But there is certainly room for both of those guys to get targets because Jason Garrett doesn't like to throw the ball to Evan Engram. Yes, that's right. Devontae Booker, a top 20 fantasy option. I think all you can really say about that is to insert the Ferris Bueller life comes at you fast. Jeff. Booker was second in expected fantasy points last week among running backs, you know, despite Barkley playing the first quarter of that game. Uh, Booker got 19 of the 20 running back opportunities after uh, Barkley left. So he, he's going to get the volume. It's probably not going to be pretty, but, um, you know, he, the volume should propel him to a pretty decent fantasy day. It's definitely not going to be pretty, but yeah, he, he's definitely an option. I remember liking Devonte Booker back when he was a prospect coming out of Utah, but I have since yeah. been proven wrong, and now he's simply an option because he's going to get the ball. He's he, he's pretty good in the passing game. I'm not going to say he's good. He's he's good enough where um, you know the, the Giants should kind of be able to just use him in Saquon Barkley's role. He's good enough that the Giants were like, "Get out of here, Wayne Gallman. We've got Devonte Booker now." Yeah, they gave him a two-year deal, right? Like they, yeah. they obviously like the guy. Yeah, and then he was a healthy scratch two weeks ago. So. <laughs> right. On the Rams side, Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, even Daryl Henderson, pretty easy starts at this point. And Robert Woods, yeah. certainly a lot easier after he finally had that breakout game on Thursday night. I think Tyler Higby is a little bit easier because of the matchup and because his position stinks, but he's certainly no lock to get target volume. Yeah, after a couple of weeks, like I was excited about Higby. Um, I'm, I'm less excited now. You know, he's, he's 17th among tight ends in targets, as you alluded to, he's 16th in our uh, expected fantasy points. Um, and he's, you know, he, he's been okay. He's finished as a top 12 fantasy tight end in three of the first four weeks so far, but or three of the first five weeks, but he, he has overachieved based on the usage he's getting. So, you know, he, he's a low end tight end one, um, you know, just being in this Rams offense helps him. Cause I do think he's, you know, a pretty decent touchdown bet every week. Yeah, in some places he might be a sell high at this point because of those touchdowns. He's, he's doing well on touchdown rate versus the usage that he's getting so far. Um, surprising amount of Sony Michelle consideration this week, I have seen at least. He saw basically half of Daryl Henderson's playing time last week and 11 pass play snaps versus 27 for Daryl Henderson. And his playing time, too, for Sony Michelle was very concentrated in that game. Nine of his 11 carries and his only target came on a single drive in the second quarter. And we saw at that time Daryl Henderson on the sideline getting either his arm or shoulder checked out. Right. M- Michelle basically played two, he, he got two series to himself in that game. And it, it just so happened to be that those were two pretty long drives for the Rams and Michelle was able to rack up touches. So I, I still think this is like an 80, 20 split in favor of Daryl Henderson. And I still think Michelle is just a handcuff. Yeah. And Henderson's not on the injury report this week. So there's no issue there lingering. I, I don't see Michelle as a real week six option unless you're desperate. Agreed. The LA chargers at the Baltimore Ravens Ravens by three over under a 52 and a half. 
I'd have a hard time sitting any of the Chargers core four here, talking about Austin Eckler, Justin Herbert, and the two wideouts. I think the only other guy really worth mentioning is Jared Cook. And he kind of is what he is at this point. There's upside if he gets targets, but his target counts so far have been 8, 5, 3, 7, 3, 12.6% target share. He's basically Tyler Higby, albeit in an offense that's throwing the ball a little bit more. And Donald Parham has been stealing some touchdowns, and Par- Parham's route rates have been climbing slowly. He, he set up season high last week at 36%. Uh, Jared Cook was still at 68%. So, you know, Cook's still the guy there. I'll be curious to see if, as we get deeper in the season, if Parham starts stealing more. Um, but, yeah, Cook, Cook kind of looks like a touchdown or bust fantasy play. And, you know, that's not the worst thing in the world when you're on this Chargers offense. Man, I, I want to become a Chargers fan. I, I just – I love this team. So fun. Oh, yeah. It's a fun team to watch, and I mean, I, I enjoy it. I, I like Justin Herbert as a prospect coming in, so the way that his career is going, it just makes me smile every time I see a positive story on him on TV. Um, and this could be a matchup that pushes passing volume, especially for an offense that already wants to lean that way. So if you are deciding between Jared Cook and somebody else in that nebulous tight end cloud, then Jared Cook certainly has upside in the spot. On the Baltimore side, Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews, Marquise Brown, I think the only thing to really consider here is how high Brown belongs in the wide receiver rankings. Yeah, so he, you know, he he's been awesome. Um, you know, he's finished as a top seventeen fantasy wide receiver in four of the first five weeks. He so a couple of causes for concern this week. He, uh, Hollywood is the third biggest overachiever at wide receiver so far. If you compare his actual fantasy points versus expected fantasy points, he he's still sixteenth in expected fantasy points. So it's not like he's not getting usage. He's just. Have been a lot better than the usage he's been getting. But the, the bigger concern for me is the Chargers have been really good, first, just against the pass in general, and second, against number one wide receivers. Um, Football Outsiders has them 12th against number one wideouts. But if you look at the box scores, um, they limited Terry McLaurin to four catches for 62 yards. They limited Tyree Kill to five for 56. Uh, Odell Beckham had just two for 20 last week. So, you know, that, that's kind of been the calling card for the Chargers is, is shutting down opposing number one wideouts. So I, I, I'm downgrading Hollywood a bit in this matchup. Um, but I, I think he's still like a lower end wide receiver too this week. Yeah, likely starting for most teams. This is also a potential run funneling matchup. The Chargers aren't scary against the pass. They're 11th in pass defense DVOA, but percentage wise, they're actually in positive territory. So the takeaway there is only 10 defenses are technically negative matchups four pass offenses so far and only three defenses in the entire league are in double digit territory in terms of that negative percentage by the football outsiders numbers. It's Buffalo, Carolina, Arizona. I think beyond that, you don't really make strong adjustments for the passing matchup. So it'll depend more, I think on what Baltimore wants to do here. And I think there's a a chance that the Ravens try to run the ball more in this game. I mean, in addition to, being something that they have been good at. I don't think they have the running backs now that they normally do, but it could also keep the Chargers offense off the field a little bit if they're able to do it. Yeah, I think it's a big rushing game for Lamar Jackson, at least. Um, I don't know what to do with the backfield. I, there's like nothing you can take away from last week because they just, you know, they, they hardly ran it at all. When they did, they weren't effective. They fell behind early. Um, it, it looked like Latavius Murray was still the lead back. Tyson Williams was active. It was Le'Veon Bell who was healthy scratched last week. So I, I think Latavius is the best bet. Um, you know, he, he's like an, a, a decent RB three play this week because, because I do like the the rushing matchup for the Ravens. Yeah, he's like James Conner level usable, I think. Yep, agreed. Green Bay at Chicago, Packers by four and a half, over under forty five on the Packers side. We know all the usuals, and what's been usual this year is Robert Tunyon giving us eight yards receiving or less. It was the same last week. It's the fourth time this season among five games, and his playing time 
was down against the Bengals compared with the previous two weeks. The Bears now come into this one as both a negative passing matchup and a negative tight end coverage matchup. Yep. Sorry if I convinced anyone to use Tunyon last week. I, I did like him because that route rate spiked in week four with that MVS. But like you said, it was back down to just 63% last week, which is not a great number. Um, Tunyon, 21st among tight ends and targets, 20th in expected fantasy points. So he, he's just not getting the usage. Well, they just couldn't find him because A.J. Dillon turned into a receiving dynamo last week with a four for 49 and a touchdown receiving line at Cincinnati. What do we do with that, Jared? Yeah, I, I, I'm not buying Dillon yet, at least. you know, He's playing well enough where maybe his role continues to grow. But in the role he's in now, you still can't trust him. Even last week, he still played just 33% of the offensive snaps. Despite that receiving production, he only ran her out on 24% of the past pass plays. His role hasn't really changed much from the start of the season. So I need, I need to see the playing time change before I can consider him like a, you know, RB three or flex. I agree. I should um, point out atheist for the cause in our, uh, on YouTube for us pointed out that Robert Tunyon got hurt in that game. So to be fair, since we are doing a little Tunyon bashing right now, he did come away with a knee issue. He's limited in practice Wednesday. So maybe that factored into it, but he's done a lot more of nothing than something this year. So um, on the Bears side of this game, I'm trying to use nothing. I mean, I think even Damian Williams sits too high in our rankings after he basically split work with Khalil Herbert last week. Yeah, I mean, Herbert ended up what play, playing more snaps. Um, he had more carries. D- Damian did get all three running back targets. Damian Williams did get uh, three of the four carries inside the five yard line. So I, I do think Williams is going to get the you know higher value touches. Also, it also looked like they used Herbert more to kind of salt the game away um, with the lead. And I do think they're going to be playing from behind against Green Bay here. So I think you'll see Williams you know, take over as the leader in terms of snaps and touches. Um, but yeah, he's, you know, he's not he's not going to get Devontae Booker level usage this week. You know, Booker is, is the better volume bet among those two guys. I think you're hunting a little bit too much for signal there. I, th- I don't think there's anything that we can read from it yet. And target wise, the Bears have 22 total running back targets through five games this year. That whole position has three more targets than Cole Komet does through five games. I would play Devontae Booker, Daryl Williams, Chase Edmonds, Josh Jacobs over Damian Williams this week among our uh, PPR rankings right now. I might even play both Denver backs and Zach Moss over Damian Williams this week. Can't say you're crazy for any of those. Chase Edmonds, I, I, Worried about the shoulder. We'll see what he does in practice over the next couple of days. Yeah, we'll see about that. Allen Robinson, by the way, dealing with an ankle injury. So we might finally have a reason to not play him because other than that he's not delivering at all. He hasn't even finished as a top 50 fantasy wideout in any of the first five weeks. Not even top 50. He has literally killed your fantasy team in all five weeks so far. That's so sad. Uh, it's a fine spot, though, for Darnell Mooney if you're looking down in that range, you know, like Jalen Waddle territory, yeah. probably in the wide receiver rankings, especially with no Jair Alexander on the Green Bay side. The problem is that Justin Fields has yet to throw more than 20 passes in a game this season. So we can't bet on volume. Ball. I mean, Mooney had the nice week four. He's been 44th or worse or worse in fantasy points in the other four games. He's also just 46th among wideouts in expected fantasy points. So you're, you're just kind of hoping that he connects on one long play if he's going to help you. Mm hmm. And we can get out of that game now, right? Yes, let's go to this next one. This next one's good. That's right. Kansas City at Washington. Chiefs by six and a half, over under 55 and a half. The highest over under the week because the defenses suck. And at least one of the offenses is really good. And the other one has upside. We'll go to the one that we know is really good first because the Chiefs lead the week in team implied total. I mean, watch out for angry Patrick Mahomes coming off last week. The other thing we're really going to have to watch is Tyreek Hill's quad injury. Andy Reid said 
after the Sunday night game against the Bills that he that it was a knee issue at that point. He said he expected Hill to play in the game. No practice for Hill on Wednesday. So, you know, just a situation we're going to have to watch. Yeah, hopefully he gets out there because it's obviously a blow-up spot for this Chiefs passing game and offense in general. I think McCall Hardman is the guy people are going to be wondering about after, you know, he had a productive game uh, against the Bills on Sunday night. Uh, his route rate did come back up. It was in the low 60s in weeks three and four. It was back up to 71% last week. That was probably at least partly due to the fact that they, you know, fell behind and were playing in catch-up mode all night. Uh, Demarcus Robinson still ran more pass routes than McCall Hardman last week. So he, he's, he still comes with a low floor, but again, if you think Mahomes is going for, you know, 404 in this game, which I kind of think he is, um, I, I do think Hardman is, is a decent like wide receiver three or flex play. Yeah. Just make sure that you don't figure that McCole Hardman is a lock to be involved in that. Cause yes. that was also the first game since Josh Gordon joined the team and Josh Gordon got on the field barely, but got on the field <laughs> and did have a catch despite being out of football for two years before that. So yep. they clearly want him involved to some degree. They're going to spread it around. The only locks are Travis Kelsey and if he's healthy, Tyree kill. So, you know, we'll see yep. on that. Certainly upside Daryl Williams. I, he's obviously the, the top back for the chiefs this week. I think the biggest mental hurdle for people is that they look at the chiefs and see that they like to split touches in the backfield. And maybe that's the case. Maybe they do it this week, but you could also read that as Daryl Williams was already stealing touches from Clyde Edwards, Elaire when he was healthy. So now mm-hmm. that Clyde Edwards, Elaire is not playing Daryl Williams is going to easily lead that group. So Jarek McKinnon has one carry on the season. He has three targets so far after they signed him in the off season. Again, Williams was already siphoning opportunities. I, I obviously don't know. None of us knows exactly how it's going to get broken down in the backfield here. And, you know, they're probably going to lean past. They're already one of the more pass leaning teams in neutral situations on the season, but it's an undeniably terrific situation for scoring opportunities for Daryl Williams. And there's nobody else in the backfield that clearly does any of the things better than he does at this point. Yeah. I I think Williams might just end up getting the CEH role plus the goal line stuff that he was already getting when CEH was healthy. So that, and that'd be nice. That'd be, you know, higher end RB two usage if, if he gets that. Um, and we got, we got 32 chief snaps after Everett's Alaire left last week. Um, Williams played 24 snaps to just eight for Jarek McKinnon. Darrell Williams had six of the seven running back opportunities. So I, I think McKinnon is going to mix in in passing situations, but I think Williams is going to handle the majority of the ball carrying stuff and, you know, do some stuff in the passing game. Um, Washington ha- actually has played the run pretty tough so far. It's in the passing game where they've been very bad. So it's not a great individual matchup for Williams, but you know, it, it, like you said, it's such a good scoring environment for the chiefs. I do think Williams is a pretty decent touchdown bet this week. Yes, I agree with that. Now to the Washington side where we'll, we'll, we'll take a little peek behind the curtain of our weekly projections process. We split up the games. Uh, so each of us takes some of them, then we combine them in the system, and then we argue out the rankings at each position. So I had the Kansas City-Washington game. I projected Taylor Heineke for a little bit more than 300 yards, and I was like, all right, I'm going to leave this here and see what Jared does with this. Because his uh, he – considers one of his main tasks to be popping my projections balloon anytime that I'm really excited about a player barely knocked him down at all. I had to give you credit this week, Jared, because I was all ready to see Taylor Heineke move way down and he didn't. I think it's a great week for Taylor Heineke. Well, I mean, the projections were right. If your projections are wrong, that's when I, you know, that's when I have to change them. But yeah, I mean, Heineke wasn't good in fantasy last week um, against the saints, which we, we kind of, you know, projected it was a tough matchup. He finished quarterback 13, quarterback nine, and quarterback five in the three games before that. 
And now we get the Chiefs, who are 31st in football outsiders past D. They're 32nd in adjusted points allowed to quarterback. So, you know, I you know, we, we talked when we were doing uh, rankings review on uh, Tuesday about Heineke versus Dak Prescott. And I, I picked up Heineke in my, in my main event league, and Dak is my other quarterback. So I actually have to make that decision now. I have Heineke in right now over Dak Prescott. I just – I don't see how he doesn't deliver in this spot. I agree. The only time that he has not delivered so far this season was last week against the Saints, who are third in defensive DVOA, fifth against the pass. So, I mean, it was a bad matchup, and, you know, it's understandable that he didn't. Before that, 24-plus fantasy points in three straight outings, including at Buffalo in a down passing outing. So, yeah, it should be a good week for Taylor Heineke. Nothing is given in football. I mean, that's why so many of us are looking for answers every week in this, but (laughs) – it's a great spot against a defense that's just been horrible and be giving up fantasy points to everybody. Terry McLaurin's obvious. He's obvious most weeks, even more so this week. Antonio Gibson, I think, is a pretty easy play as well. Is Ricky Seals-Jones already an easy play too? He is, yeah. I think I tweeted that he got borderline elite usage last week. I actually think it was just straight elite usage last week. He ran her out on 87% of the pass plays um, eight targets. It was a 20% target share. He Ricky seals Jones finished fourth in expected fantasy points among tight ends last week. And now he's in this game environment against this defense. So I, I would, I would, I would be happy using RSJ in fantasy lineups this week. Yeah. Pick up Ricky seals Jones country album and then play him in your fantasy lineups on Sunday. There is some game script upside as well for J.D. McKissick in this one. Yep. If you're RB hunting, and I know because of how many people are talking about Devontae Booker, Daryl Williams, and the like, uh, there is RB hunting this week. So there's upside. You obviously can't count on J.D. McKissick delivering, but mm-hmm. there's a, a shot. Yeah, I, I looked into his win-loss splits over the last two seasons. His rushing volume doesn't really change in wins versus losses, but he goes from 5.1 targets per game in wins to 6.8 targets per game in losses. So, you know, he he does get a boost in games uh, Washington is playing from behind him. And certainly no Logan Thomas, no Curtis Samuel, um, whoever else is missing can only help J.D. McKissick in that. Because not only does he get more targets if they're trailing, but he can also play wide receiver spots. It's not all backfield stuff for him. Yes. Arizona at Cleveland Browns by three in this one over under a 49 and a half. It's down four and a half points from where it opened for whatever reason. Season high in targets and receiving yards for DeAndre Hopkins last week against the 49ers. Seems like the rib injury is behind him. But Jared, what else should I do with this pass catching core? Yeah. So, but the over under, I think I saw there's supposed to be some pretty bad wind in this mm-hmm. game. And I don't know how accurate that is, you know, this far in advance, but you know, that over under has moved, as you said. So that's going to be worth watching as we get to Sunday morning. Um, Rondell Moore, man, this, this, this could be it. And Max Williams being out for the season with his knee injury, um, that could help Rondell Moore too. If the Cardinals use some more uh, four wide receiver sets, but, but, more ran more routes than Christian Kirk last week for the first time this season. So, you know, if, if more, if more is passing Kirk as the number three wideout, that's when we can start to trust him in fantasy lineup. So we'll kind of see if it becomes a trend this week or if it was just a one week blip. Speaking of that weather, by the way, we're getting into the time of year where last year we had those two or three just yeah. awful weather games in Cleveland. So that's definitely going to be something to watch heading into this one this week. Yes. There was no passing production in, in those games. So it's definitely something worth watching. Chase Edmonds, James Conner, I think they just kind of are what they are at this point. Five rushing touchdowns for James Conner over the past three (laughs) weeks. But I think the only real surprise in that range, besides him finding the end zone that much, is how handily Arizona beat the Rams on the road in week four, which really beefed up rushing volume. Otherwise, his role looks kind of clear. Yeah, he's he's 
pretty much a touchdown or bust guy. He is 16th in the NFL in carries, but he's only 31st in rushing yards. He's not doing anything in the passing game. But, I mean, he, he clearly is Arizona's goal linebacker. He's second in the NFL in carries inside the five-yard line. Uh, so he, he's, he's a good touchdown back. But if he does not score, he's, he's probably going to hurt you, especially if you're in a PPR league. On the Cleveland side, the two big questions, I think, are one, do we keep <laughs> trusting Odell Beckham? And two, what in the world do we do with what David Njoku did last week? <laughs> I, I picked up Njoku in so many leagues after week one, and I've, I dropped him in, in most of them since. So I, I think he's worth grabbing. I wouldn't trust him yet. Um, you know, Even last week, he only he ran around on 55% of the pass plays. It was just a bit higher than Austin Hooper. What you have to hope is that his massive game earns him a bigger role going forward, and if he can get you know up to like 70% of their outs, that's when you can start to trust him. So to me, he's an ad, but try not to use him yet. Yeah, he's still young enough that he could just be breaking out finally. I think what what might be most important to this is what he's doing like in practice and you know, when they're in meetings, whether the coaches are like, "All right, David Njoku is finally getting it. It's time to unlock this athletic upside that's always been here." And I don't think we can really know that until we see him play more in games. So, I agree. Yeah. Nice guy to stash if you have room to stash a tight end. Tough to believe in anything right now, but there is upside to potentially mine here. Arizona also uh, first in football outsiders, tight end coverage rankings and third in adjusted points allowed to the position. So it's a tough matchup for these tight ends. And again, one of those three pass defenses that has actually been a truly negative matchup so far. So you do downgrade for that. Everything else I think is pretty straightforward on the Cleveland side. Jarvis Landry, they're talking about maybe he'll get back, but he could not get back on the practice field Wednesday. So as of now, he's still on IR. Yeah, you know, OBJ, I'm going to use him in tournaments again. I, I, I can't help myself, DFS tournaments. Um, I do think in season long he's benchable if you have safer options. Because, um, I mean, the, the, his first two weeks back, the usage was awesome. Last week the usage was not awesome. So that's that's concerning. Um, but this, this should be a good spot for him just because it should be a higher scoring game. The Browns might find themselves playing from behind. Unless the weather is terrible, he's not the kind of guy that I would sit for like Robbie Anderson or Jalen Waddle nope. or Darnell, Darnell Mooney. Agreed. Las Vegas at Denver. The Broncos by three and a half over under 44. I think the biggest question here might be one that we cannot answer. And it's does the whole John Gruden situation affect the team? I mean, we'll see come Sunday whether it does. And more, I guess, on a smaller level, is there any noticeable difference in the play calling now that they have booted the coach who has been calling plays for the past several years? Do we, do we know? Is it Greg Olson that's stepping in as the play call? I, I would assume it kind of has to be, right? Their offense. I think Derek Carr. Um, yeah, it might be. I, I, I can't see the whole Gruden thing being good news for this team. And it's obviously a, a really tough spot in Denver against a good defense. So I'm, you know, outside of Darren Waller and Josh Jacobs, who I think we should talk about, um, I'm not using anyone on the Raiders. Yes, I agree with trying to do that. Um, Josh Jacobs, I agree, is definitely worth talking about. He's not exciting, but the fact that he got five targets each of the past two weeks kind of is exciting. Yeah, like they're they're now they're finally going to start using him in the passing game. Like after spending all that money on Kenny and Drake, I've I, I've been surprised to see it, and I didn't I didn't buy it after week four. But when you get two games in a row of five targets, and you know the route rates have been pretty strong, um, I think it, they might finally be using Jacobs in the passing game, and that's big for him too because he's been such a game script dependent running back. And this is obviously a, a bad spot as a road underdog against a tough run defense. But if he's going to keep seeing you know, a handful of targets, that makes him easier to trust. I don't think Josh Jacobs is going to be awesome the rest of the way. I do think there is some buy low yep. appeal to him right now because it's not going to cost very much, I think. 
Yeah, the usage is, is good. He, the thing to me is he just doesn't look good to me. <laughs> you know, and his efficiency numbers kind of back that up. Um, so that that's the concern. But um, if he's going to, you know, get this type of volume, he, he should be decent. Speaking of decent, uh, Hunter Renfro would be insulted if you use that word to <laughs> uh, describe the way he's playing so far. He's caught either five or six passes in every game so far. He's tied for 20th among wideouts and targets. He's tied for 15th in receptions. He's tied with Marquise Brown in each of those categories, among other guys. Hunter Renfro has as many receptions as Stefan Diggs through five weeks. He has more targets, more catches, and more receiving yards than Tyler Boyd. Stop. I can't I can't take it. <laughs> no, just, he, uh, play him. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, so again, I don't like this spot. Uh, for the Raiders offense. And, you know, it's a tough Broncos secondary, tough matchup in the slot for Renfro against Bryce Callahan. But yeah, uh, Renfro is 31st among wideouts and expected fantasy points. So you know, he's getting wide receiver three level usage. He's been even better than that as far as actual points. So he's, he's uh he should definitely be owned in PPR leagues. I would still try not to use him this week. Hmm. Cole Beasley without the controversy and with less around him at wide receiver, terrible spot for Henry Ruggs, who is boom bust anyway. So I'm probably not using him in, I don't know, pretty much any place. Yep, agreed. On the Denver side, it's potentially an upside rushing spot for the Broncos if things are off for the Raiders and they're not scoring much. It's tough to get excited about either Broncos running back, but you know it should at least be decent to positive game script as opposed to last week. Yeah, the Raiders' D is 30th in adjusted points allowed to running backs. Um, we'll have to watch Melvin Gordon. He didn't practice on Wednesday. He's been sitting out practices for the past couple of weeks, but this is a new injury. He's on there with a hip this week where it's been lower leg. So, you know, if, if Gordon sits, Javante Williams becomes a, you know, almost a must start. Yeah. Cortland Sutton is fine. Apparently after that late week ankle sprain last week, because he had a big game against Pittsburgh. And I wouldn't worry about Noah Fant uh, coming off his quiet day in Pittsburgh. His playing time was up in that game in the wake of Albert Oquig Boonham's hamstring injury. And Albert O did land on IR before that game. So he's out at least two more weeks. Yeah, fans actually set season highs in route rates the last two weeks, 86 and then 88%. So you know, we're, we're seeing Albert O's absence, um, you know, get him on the field a bit more in past situations. So even though the usage hasn't been there or the production hasn't been there, um, I, I I do still like fan. I think he's, you know, pretty easy top eight tight end play this week. Mm-hmm. Anything else you want to hit on the wide receivers for Denver? You seem to be a bigger Tim Patrick fan than me. Um, his usage has just been – he's getting like wide receiver four level usage. And it is a good matchup here, so I think he's in play. Um, but I, I, the, the floor still feels pretty low to me. Yeah, he's an efficient receiver who just doesn't get that much work. So I, I, I always feel like he's somebody that we should talk about, and then there's just not much to say. I mean, if yeah. he's getting six targets and he catches four or five of them, cool. Some people are going to be able to use that. Other people are not. There's just not a whole lot to say. Yep, that's about right. Dallas at New England Cowboys by three and a half. That's up one and a half from where it opened over under a 52. That's up four points. So maybe there'll be some points here. If Davis Mills can throw for 312 and three touchdowns, I'm just going to mention that as many times as possible on this show against New England. I'm certainly not scared for Dak Prescott in the matchup. The, the real issue here is that Dallas wants to run the ball. And I'm not sure that New England's offense can push them out of doing that. Yeah, I, I think Dak will be pre- plenty efficient when he does throw. I'm not sure how many attempts you're going to get from in this game. Uh, so Dallas, since week one, that Bucks game where they went super pass heavy, over the last four weeks, they're 30th in situation neutral pass rate. So you're know, the third run heaviest team in the NFL. And you know, the, the Pats are, they're you know by football outsiders numbers, they're quite a bit better against the pass than they're on. They're 22nd 
against the run according to football outsider. So I, I expect this to be a, a run heavy game plan from Dallas. Davis Mills says that the football outsiders have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> I think New England was like second or third in DVOA until last week. So yeah, but I'm pretty sure that they were second in past defense DVOA heading yep. into last week. And now DVOA is like, I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> Uh, Mari Cooper appeared to hurt her foot or ankle in the end zone against the Giants last week at one point, but he's not on the injury report at all Wednesday. So I guess we shouldn't worry about that. I think he and CeeDee Lamb and Zeke Elliott are certainly starting for most teams. The The run lean has been so extreme lately that it's tough to feel totally comfy with Cooper and CeeDee Lamb. Their target right. counts have been down, but it's also, I mean, I, I'm not sure I could feel comfy not playing either guy. At this point, I'm glad that I wasn't drafting them just so I don't have to make that decision. Yeah, that that uh, lack of pass volume is really hurting both of these guys. Over the last four weeks, Lamb is 40th among wideouts in our expected fantasy points, and Amari Cooper is 49th. So, you know, that, that's that's scary. And they're going to continue to be efficient, I think, because they're good players and they're you know playing with Dak Prescott. But um, you know, I, I think they're, they're both going to have some duds, you know, with the Cowboys going this run heavy. I was looking at the Cowboys schedule, by the way. They it It's going to have to open up for them. Uh, the rest of the way, because they have some games. You know, they, they play the Chiefs. Uh, they play a couple other teams where I think there's going to be some shootouts. I think it's going to get better for Lamb and Cooper. But um, I, I think this week, you know, the passing volume is going to be pretty low again. Yeah, I mean, I will say, I don't think there's anywhere to go but up from what they've got in the past three weeks. Dalton yeah. Schultz has led yeah, this that's the other problem <laughs> in targets over the past three weeks. I don't think that's going to continue. But just in terms of Dalton Schultz, it's obviously nothing but good news. He's got three straight six catch games. He's caught six balls in four of his five games this year. I mean, obviously Dallas likes what he's giving them. And when you compare that to the rest of the tight end position, it's pretty easy to just like Dalton Schultz the rest of the way now. And he's easily led the team in targets the past three weeks, 23 for Schultz versus just 14 for CD lamb and 13 for Amari Cooper. I agree that that's not going to continue. Um, but we, we again saw Schultz easily beat Jarwin in pass routes last week. So it's clear he's their top guy. And I, I, I'll buy him being the third option in the passing game, you know, at least until Michael Gallup is back. And that, that that's good enough. Yeah. And even at that point, I, I think he'll get enough to be weekly viable at tight end. On the yep. Patriots side, Jacoby Myers remains a solid PPR bet, but he's been outside the past two weeks more than he was before. And I, I think there are a couple of contributors there. Hunter Henry has operated in the slot more over his past three games versus the previous two. And Kendrick Bourne has spent nearly all of his limited time in the slot over the past two. I'm not sure how much it matters for Jacoby Myers. Mm -hmm. As long as he's getting targets, he'll be fine. And he remains um, averse to scoring touchdowns. So that <laughs> caps his upside, but you know, he's fine. He got tackled at the one last week too. So he's, he's going to score. He's going to score one of these weeks. Myers is 11th among wideouts and expected fantasy points. He's uh 10th in targets, seventh in catches. So he's getting really nice usage um, that, that, you know, moving more to the outside, that'd mean more Trayvon Diggs in this matchup, which is a slight concern, but yeah, I'm with you. I think uh, just volume kind of makes Myers a pretty safe fantasy play, especially, you know, New England should be having to throw it plenty in this game. Yeah, worth mentioning that Trayvon Diggs is also dealing with an ankle issue this week that I believe kept him out of Wednesday's practice. So we'll keep an eye on that for everybody's matchups on the Patriots side for this one. I'm waiting for the game where Jacoby Myers is going into the end zone untouched and fumbles. <laughs> That's going to yeah. be the ultimate. Yeah. Um, Hunter Henry, by the way, I mentioned him. He's coming off a 675-1 receiving line, touchdowns in two straight now. I mean, he's a solid option in that range where we don't like any of the tight ends. He is, yeah, and uh, John, John Smith ran six pass routes last week, um, so he he's just been kind of phased. That he's on the field, he's 
he's just blocking. They, they're, they're using him as like a sixth lineman at this point. Um, so that, that makes Henry easier to trust. I think, I think he's a low end tight end one at this point. Johnny Smith must, just, I, I don't watch Johnny Smith block. He is, he just blowing people up and they just can't, <laughs> they can't bring themselves to take him out of blocking duty. And that's why he never catches passes. And I guess, is it a combo of that? And he's just a, a total jerk off the field. So nobody wants to give him numbers. I don't, it's, it's funny when you look at the athleticism, the money that they're paying him, and then just a second team now not giving him that much. Well, and like every time he catches the ball, like he, like, especially after the catch, like he always looks good. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. He's, he's a, he's a strange player that, you know, has been, has been burning people for a few years now. Uh, the other thing to watch for new England is Damian Harris's rib injury. No practice for him Wednesday. So we'll see where that goes through the week. Obviously can't really make a call on whether to play him now. And I mean, is there anything else to, to like on the new England offense? No, I mean, I think, I think it would, I think it would be Ramondre Stevenson as the lead ball carrier if uh, Harris doesn't play. Stevenson was active last week for the first time since week one, had 11 carries, just 23 yards. Patriots were missing four of their O-linemen, so you know, we'll see if the O-line gets healthier. Um, but Stevenson would be like the fill-in, I think, if Harris is out. Brandon Bolden, 22 opportunity game coming in now. Seattle at Pittsburgh Sunday night. Steelers by four and a half. That's up one from where it started. The over-under is 42, which is down a point. And the main reason to not like anything here is that the Seahawks will be opening a game without Russell Wilson for the first time since he entered the league. The Seahawks have the second lowest team total of the week behind only Houston. Not sure if that's fair to the Texans and new star Davis Mills, but (laughs) at some level you have to go with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Jared, I'm not really sure what level that is, though. I don't, I don't, I don't know if we can know until this game starts. Yeah, I think like Metcalf's a wide receiver two for me, and, and Lockett's a wide receiver three. Lock, I don't have any numbers to base this, base this on, but Lockett feels like he's going to be hurt more. Um, I just think Metcalf is just like physically a more dominant player, and I just think you know Lockett kind of benefits from that chemistry with Russell Wilson a bit more. Um, we'll, we'll see if that ends up being the case, but both Metcalf and Lockett saw four of Geno Smith's 18 targets in that game uh, last week. So, you know, no edge there. Um, the, the matchup is at least good. Pittsburgh has been much tougher against the run than the pass. And, and I do think Lockett and Metcalf will both get enough volume to, you know, have, have decent fantasy days at least. Yeah. Geno Smith looked okay in relief against the Rams. He did enter a game where his team trailed by nine. So, I mean, it, it behooved the Rams to sit back a little bit and see what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Produced one touchdown, also threw a pick. Uh, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are both excellent football players. So I think that's why they remain in consideration, even though Seattle is taking about as big a step back at quarterback as any team could from starter to backup. You know, you use them at some level. They both should still be more efficient than most other receivers will be on the same opportunities. You know, again, we'll see exactly what the dip to Geno Smith means here. Uh, you know, if you do have Metcalf or Lockett, I think you hope that Pittsburgh jumps out to a big lead in this game. Yeah. Then they have to throw it like 40, 42 times, just because then if he's completing 20 of them, you know, <laughs> then we'll get something from those guys. Still no yeah, practice, Pitt- by the way. No, sorry. Go ahead. I was just say Pittsburgh's 24th in both football outsiders, pasty and adjusted points allowed to wide receivers. Um, Gino's going to be fun on Sunday night. He's going to turn it over three times, but he's going to throw two touchdowns. He's going to run for 50 yards in a score. It's, it's going to be fun. You just predicted three total <laughs> touchdowns from Gino Smith. I'm going to, I'm going to have to clip that one out and put it on Twitter. I think <laughs> still no practice for Chris Carson on Wednesday after he missed last week with the neck issue. And it sounds like it's going to be something that could be an issue all season that they'll have to manage, maybe fix at least watch uh, Pete Carroll was talking about it 
not being something that like happened in a game, but mm-hmm. something that had lingered for a while that they weren't even sure how it started. Maybe a weightlifting thing for Chris Carson. So we'll see where it goes for now. We're just going to have to watch how he progresses through this week and hope that we know yeah. by, you know, Sunday, whether he's going to play or not. Yeah. And if, you know, if Carson is going to play the backfield, pretty much being a void for me because you know he, he was losing work to Alex Collins even before this injury and it's a tough matchup against a good Steelers run defense um, if, if Carson's out I think Alex Collins is a like a low level option he, he got decent playing you know he he got clear lead back usage last week the fantasy production wasn't huge and again this matchup isn't good so I wouldn't expect a big game out of Collins but you know I, I think you get 15 plus touches out of him if if Chris Carson is out again I would play at least everybody down through Zach Moss ahead of Alex Collins with no Chris Carson Oh, yeah, I'd play Moss over Collins. All right. Oh, good. I think that Rashad Penny, if, you ha- if, if you're sitting here right now and you're disappointed that you missed out on Devontae Booker and Darrell <laughs> Williams and Damian Williams and all the other crappy guys that you didn't want to draft initially, maybe stash Rashad Penny in a spot at the bottom of the roster and see what happens. He's still on IR right now. I think he's out at least one more game beyond this one based on when he went down. But you know, if he makes it back from that calf injury, there's potential opportunity here, even for a guy who's been more, much more disappointing than he has been yeah. helpful. Would you rather stash Rashad Penny or Marlon Mack, who's been, you know, supposedly on the trade block and teams are interested, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I guess I would stash Mack right now because he's healthy and see if he, if somebody trades for him, because if he, you know, if he comes a chief by the weekend or early next week, then Marlon mm-hmm. Mack over Rashad Penny easily. If we get past the trade deadline and he doesn't go anywhere, then he's dropping for somebody else. And and the other thing is if you miss out on Rashad Penny, I don't think you're going to miss out on something. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Chiefs or um, Ravens, I think would be an awesome spot if Matt could end up there. Yeah. I'd be curious to see what happens there. I'd still find it hard to believe that teams are like, Hey, Baltimore, we're interested in that stable running backs. You got, what's it going to take to to get one of those guys from you? All right. On the Steelers' side of this game, I think you should expect low passing volume like we had last week against Denver. I would expect similar game flow, obviously, assuming that the Steelers can score some points and Seattle has not been terrific on defense so far. Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, I think are fine as wide receiver twos regardless of the volume outlook. Najee Harris is a must, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, I do think the Juju injury is a big one. I mean, he averaged 7.7 targets in his three healthy games this season, and I think – you know, obviously doesn't hurt Deontay Johnson, but I think Chase Claypool is the one that's really going to benefit. I think he's going to be on the field a bit more. I think he's going to pick up extra volume. I mean, you, you still got to deal with trying to catch passes from Ben Roethlisberger, but I do, I do think it's going to make Claypool someone you can you know rely on as an every week fantasy starter going forward. Yeah, I'd be curious to see what playing time looks like when James Washington's back healthy, limited Wednesday practice coming off his groin injury. So seems like he's getting close. They did bring in Anthony Miller, but only added him to the practice squad. So it looks mm-hmm. like they're going to roll forward with the guys they got, including Ray Ray McLeod as the potential <laughs> slot leader. So, you know, again, we'll see how the playing time goes uh, going forward. By the way, before we get to the last game, uh, Azar Ahmed on YouTube says Tyreek Hill not practicing today. So Oh boy. Definitely something we're going to have to watch even more than we thought. And obviously if Tyreek Hill is out, Nicole Hardman suddenly gets strapped to a rocket ship for this week. Yep. Hardman. And you'd even have to consider like Demarcus Robinson and Byron Pringle at that point, man, we can't be, Hill can't miss this game. It's too good. I know. So we'll see where that one goes. We'll keep an eye on it. But for now we'll shift to the Monday night game, Buffalo at Tennessee. They already got revenge on the chiefs last week. Now they can get revenge on Tennessee for what was it? A Tuesday night game last year. That was COVID delayed, but they got beat up. Literally, that was the Derrick Henry stiff arm game. So 
They should be angry. There's six point favorites in this one. It's a 54 point over under. It's the week's second highest over under. The Bills, of course, have the team have the highest, the second highest team total behind only the Chiefs. So we'll start with negative. Cole Beasley, just two targets each of the past two weeks. And his playing time has been down each of those games as well, all yeah. the way down to 39% last week. Yeah, D- Dawson Knox is officially a problem for Cole Beasley. No- Knox is basically the third option in the Bills passing game now. Uh, Beasley's routes have been down to 67% in week four and then 53% last week. So um, he- he's he's not a guy I don't think you can trust in, in fantasy lineups right now. We'll see. You know, maybe it turns into a thing where Beasley and Knox are kind of alternating weeks as that third option, but it's been it's been Knox the past two weeks at least. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders, forty eight plus receiving yards in each game, so a better bet than Cole Beasley, averaging just three point eight catches, so certainly not a lock. But the Bills are the league's most pass leaning team in neutral situations, so it's a good position in which to be that kind of you know decent floor bet. Yeah. I mean, Sanders is 21st in actual fantasy points, and he's 27th in our expected fantasy points. So, you know, he to me, he's like almost an every week wide receiver three at this point. Uh, you already mentioned Dawson Knox scored in four straight games, so it's tough not to use him. And he, he's obviously not a lock for volume, but he's in a great situation mm-hmm. to hit the boom side of that boom bust label. Yeah, I mean, he's just he's on the field a ton for this, you know, explosive pass heavy offense. So it's a great situation for him. Mac Moss, season high four targets against Kansas City and just two targets for Devin Singletary in that game, who saw season lows in playing time at just 26% of the snaps and in carries. Uh, first game in single-digit carries for Devin Singletary this season in a game that they were leading the whole time. So they, only good news for Zach Moss, I think. Yeah, Moss has been a top 27 fantasy running back in all four of his games this season. He's been top 32 in expected fantasy points. Like you said, he you know set the career career high in snap rate last week. So he's, he's definitely trending up and... Um, you know, this Tennessee defense is bad, so I, I I like Moss this week, and even Singletary I think is in play as an RB three or flex because I you know, I still think he's going to be looking at you know ten to ten to twelve touches in this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the Tennessee side, I think there's nothing really sneaky. AJ Brown was only so so in his return last week, but his six targets led the team in a game where Ryan Tannehill was just fourteen of twenty two passing. So there was really no chance for him to do anything in that one. It's not a good matchup for the passing game this week, but I think we both expect them to be trailing in what could be a high scoring game. Yeah. Pass volume should definitely be up in this game, which is going to help uh, AJ Brown. Julio Jones looks like he's going to be back. He was on the practice field on Wednesday, but man, the, the bills defense by like any metric you look at is the best defense in football. So it's definitely a tough spot for the Titans. That's going to do it for this week. Six preview edition of the podcast, head over to DraftSharks.com Now to see our full week, six rankings to help you finalize all of your lineup decisions. Check the, my team's page. You can get customized versions of our rankings to fit your specific league format. You can also find us anytime in the free Draft Sharks Discord. Find the link to join in the description for this podcast, wherever you might be consuming it right now. For Jared Smoll and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Schaaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us.